0: Scripture today is found in 1st Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 19 but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out if we have food and clothing we will be content with these but those who want to be rich fall into temptation a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to keep this commandment without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power, amen. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life.
1: Lord, uh,
2: once again, we handle uh, something which is powerful, um, which is a powder keg, Um, which we don't know how to control and we dare not control it Lord Um, it is it is precious Um, it is powerful it is your word Lord and so we pray that um, things that I say that are of you would stick, would find a place and would would yield fruit Lord and those things which are not of you we would forget, Lord. Um, we thank you that you are gracious enough to speak through your word and to allow us to have it in our hands, Lord God. Um, we we are not worthy, but we thank you for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, my is Dan. If this is your first time, uh, either in person or joining us online, and I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and uh, as as as. Regular attenders at Cornerstone know we're going through this thing called the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a way to read through about 80% of the Bible in three years. And so we're on Year C. Year C is going to come to an end, and then in, uh, in Advent Year A will start. And so, we're, uh, and, and so you know, the plan, as far as I know, just just keep going with this because uh, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it kind of makes me um, address. Uh, things that I wouldn't necessarily turn to, as we've experienced over the past few weeks, and so thank you for sitting through those and uh, for allowing God to speak to you. But this this morning we're moving away from Luke and we're in First Timothy chapter six, and uh, our key verse, I guess, that uh, I would like to say is uh, is, is this. Look, why don't we read it all together? First Timothy six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And one more time, and this time I want us to emphasize that word great, okay? First Timothy six verse six, but godliness yes. with contentment yes. is great gain. So what we can see from here is that godliness is gain and contentment is gain, but godliness with contentment somehow is great game. This is an example of what we would call an unlikely partnership that kind of knocks it out of the park for the believer. Um, It's a bit like Tim Hortons and Justin Bieber, right? (laughs) Early 2021, no one could have foreseen um, the... Uh, you know the cultural and the brand impact of Tim or Tim's and Justin joining forces but on November 29th 2021 uh, Tim Beads were launched which was uh, which is like Timbits, but Timbits designed by or curated selected by Justin Bieber. So the question is were Tim Beebe's successful? Now regardless of how you feel about Tim Biebs, I like Tim Biebs. members of my family aren't such a big fan but, uh, um, but the Chief Marketing Officer for Tim Horton said this, uh, Tim Beavs was a huge success, truly beyond all of our expectations, and what made it so great was the authenticity of the partnership. Yeah. So they were a success, and Tim Beavs is a great example of what happens when you take two
1: good things, again... It's debatable, okay? <laughs> but
2: you know, the sake of this sermon, you take two good things and you combine them and turn it into something great like godliness and contentment. Now, in the church, we're known for making a big deal about godliness, right? Or holiness or living rightly. There's lots of books about holiness, lots of books about godliness, but not so much about contentment, you know. In fact, our denomination, the Wesleyan Church, is part of the holiness tradition, in a sense part of the godliness tradition. Uh, But I've never met anyone who says, oh, you want to come to my church? My church is part of the contentment tradition. That's our heritage, we're part of the contentment heritage. Uh, And so what I want us to do this morning is to explore this relationship between contentment and godliness. Um, which at first glance seems to be two very different things. And my desire over these next few minutes is that by the end of it, we'll walk away with a new appreciation for both godliness and also contentment by discovering how incredible a combination they are, that godliness with contentment is great, thing, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But let's start by first looking at each quality by itself. So the question is, is On its own, is godliness sufficient? Is it enough? And the answer, according to scripture, is no. You know, I know people who are so focused on godliness that their lives might be clean and good and righteous, without spot and blemish, as it were. But they also tend to be always trying to trim off that little bit of ungodliness always striving, and in a sense, if you only focus on the godliness side of things, you can end up being shriveled, or maybe joyless. You see, someone who's focused on only godliness is someone who is never satisfied, someone who does not know the joy of resting in Jesus Christ. They feel that they have to earn their way into God's good books. They're always looking at what isn't. Uh, They might tend to be legalistic. And when I look at Jesus, who's literally the most godly person, you know, the word godly contains the word God, Jesus was God, so Jesus by default is the most godly person who ever lived, I don't see this. When I look at Jesus, I think of the easy yoke, I think of the light burden, I think of him taking his time, I don't see Jesus striving. He was content, he was at peace with himself and with his God. And so... For these people who only emphasize your godliness, God says, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, so what about contentment? Is contentment on its own enough? Is it sufficient? If you met a Christian who learned the secret of being content, as Paul says, would contentment on its own be enough? And of course the answer again is no. Friends, you can't. You know, the reality is that you can be content and you can be in sin. You, you can be avoiding God's call on your life, and you can be content. Contentment, in and of itself, is not an indicator that everything is okay. You see, it's actually possible for a follower of Christ to sear their conscience through repeatedly ignoring it. Uh, that. In effect, their conscience is numbed and they end up in this kind of pseudo-contentment because their conscience has lost its nerve endings. You know, you could be playing a video game in one room with your headphones on, having no idea that in the next room a fire is raging. And in the same way, a Christian, can reach a point where they're actively engaging in sin, um, so much so that they no longer hear the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, because they've blocked him out, they have their headphones on. So to counteract the uh, overemphasis on contentment, we need what? We need godliness. It's not rocket science. That wasn't a rhetorical question. To to counteract the overemphasis on contentment, we need... Godliness. Oh, awesome. So, the, and then we end up with this incredible equation, right? That godliness plus contentment equals great gain. So let's keep trapping and see how we can understand how godliness and contentment mesh, how they work together, how they enhance each other, uh, how they help each other out to create uh, a spiritual Tim Beavs. Now, in fact, if I was into marketing this morning, I might call, uh, I, you know, I might create a bit of a portmanteau uh, here, you know, a word made up of two other words. And if I was to take godliness and contentment, I might call it contentliness. Okay, we we're aiming for contentliness. Okay, so that was verse one. We now have 18 verses left to go. So let's keep moving on. Now, to help us visualise this idea of godliness and contentment or contentliness. I want to paint a bit of a picture, uh, and the idea I want to have in our minds is that we are building a subdivision, okay, we're building a subdivision, you are building a subdivision, or we, we together are building a subdivision, or as we say in the UK, a housing estate, right, we're building a subdivision. And, you know, as we look around this, we we see this going on, right? We see it as Kentville expands. We see it as Farhaven expands. We see it as Richmond expands. We even see it as Little North Gulf expands, right? And and the first sign that a subdivision is going up is when the land is cleared. Okay, that's your first sign. You're driving past and you go, okay, something's going on here when the land is cleared. The trees are gone, the brush is vanished. Everything is taken down to the bare soil, the dirt. This is where the developers have to start. And in a sense, contentment is that stripping back. It's the taking everything down to ground level. It's clearing the land. You see, in our lives, and I'm thinking of myself here, we can be so full of the world and the desires of the world and the flesh that our landscape can actually look really busy. There's a lot going on there. And so... In a sense, if your landscape is full, then there's no room for that subdivision. There's no room for God. There's no room for godliness. And that's why Paul, writing to Timothy, uses this language of stripping back, of of getting things down to the bare essentials. So let's listen to his words in uh, 1 Timothy uh, 6, verse 7, which says this. "For, For we brought nothing into the world... And we can take nothing out, that language is stripping back. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap of many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from their faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says that our natural state, both entering life and leaving life, is to have nothing, squat, zip. And he seems to be saying that that the more we can stay close to this as we go through that time in between, this thing known as life, the closer we are to this kind of spiritual minimalist ideal, the happier we will be. That's not to say that accumulating is wrong, but it does seem that that the more stuff we have, it seems to take us away from that natural state, entering this world and leaving this world of having nothing, nothing except God. And I think that is the beauty of contentment, is it's, it's, it's not that having less stuff is somehow more righteous or makes you more holy, it's that you know that God is all that you need, that... That your landscape is clear, that you are content, and you're ready for him to start to build on. Plus, if you live your life content with little, then when you die, you have less to leave behind or to regret. Right? One writer shares John Wesley's example. Okay, listen to this. One year, John Wesley's income was £30, and his living expenses was £28, so he had £2 to give away. The next year his income actually doubled, but he still managed to live on £28, so he had £32 to give to the poor. In the third year his income jumped to 90 pounds instead of letting his expenses rise with his income he kept them to 28 pounds and he gave away 62 pounds in the fourth year he received 120 pounds as before his expenses were 28 pounds so his giving rose to 92 pounds one year his income was little was a little over 1400 pounds he lived on 30 pounds and he gave away nearly 1,400 pounds. And then this writer says this, and I think it's worth us hearing this, that Wesley felt that the Christian should not merely tithe, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but the Christian standard of giving. Now, I'm not there. I am nowhere near there. It's far, far, far away, but wouldn't it be amazing? And then, and so the warning of Paul to Timothy in First Timothy is that is that those who who oh, let's see if I can find it. yeah that those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin. destruction. That's very emotive, very powerful language that that we're reading there. But by nurturing contentment, we clear the ground, right? We give God a clean canvas to start working on. Contentment clears the ground, and then we can start to build with godliness starting at verse 11. Actually, let's... First, back up a verse to verse 10, just so that we can keep in mind the context of verse 11 and onwards. So verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves... With many priests. This is the context of Luke 11, and the way that we actively resist the love of money is by actively practicing contentment, by actively saying no to things. I had to ask myself, when is the last time I actually said no to something that I had the power to get myself? And then I said no because I want to practice contentment. When is the last time I did that? I'm not sure, but I think it was a long time ago. But as we do this, as we actively say no to things, we, we clear the ground, and then we're ready to build. Now, as I'm reading these next two verses, verse 11 and 12, I want you to pay attention to what the commands are in these verses, right? There are four of them. Here's them. Here they are. Okay, one is flee, that's the first command. The second command is pursue. The third command is fight, and the fourth command is 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 take hold. Um, And as I'm reading these next words, I haven't read them yet, but as I'm reading them, I want you to imagine that each of these commands, these four commands, is like the wall of a house. Okay? Remember that our goal is to build a subdivision. So we've cleared the ground of stuff through practicing contentment, and now we're building four walls, and here we go with 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Each of these commands forms a wall for a house of godliness. To flee from the love of money, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, to fight the good fight of faith, and to take hold of eternal life. Now, we can't go very deep into these, you know, I'm, I'm doing this; these um, 19 verses a tremendous disservice by racing through, uh, but, but the image that I want us to have uh, is that after clearing the ground of our souls through practicing contentment, through sometimes saying no to yourself, and through teaching God, or teaching yourself that God is everything that you need, after the ground has been cleared, you're ready to start building a godly life. And a godly life has four walls: fleeing, pursuing, fighting, and taking hold. And this edifice is unbreakable, unshakable. So, how are you doing? First of all, in your pursuit of contentment. Okay, this is for you to reflect on your own life. Are you content? Is God all that you need? Is that ground cleared? Or does your life speak otherwise? Is this something that you need to be working on? And then secondly, start talking with God about which of these four walls he's calling you to build up right now. To shore up or to invest. You know, you don't build four walls at once. You know, you build... Well, I'm not a construction person. But uh, I'm assuming not everything goes up at the same time. Anyway, in my example, it doesn't. Okay? <laughs> So, so for you, is God calling you to flee the love of money? Or perhaps He's calling you to spend time on the pursue wall, right? Spend time on righteousness and godliness and faith and love, endurance and and gentleness. Now, just to break down our our picture a little bit more, I like to think of these six qualities, these six pursue qualities, um, like windows in the wall of pursuit. You know, it's nice to have a wall, but it's even more wonderful to have a wall with windows in, that the light can shine through, right? That's how the light comes in, is through windows. So which of these windows maybe have been getting rather dirty in your life? Righteousness, or godliness, or faith? How is your faith? Or endurance, or love, or gentleness? It's interesting how gentleness is in there, and so I wonder what would it look like if, for uh, Monday through Saturday this week, you took one of these attributes every day and you allowed God to speak into your life about it as you meditated on. How is my righteousness? Where do I need to be more righteous? What does righteousness even mean? Where else is righteousness used in the Bible? How can I get more of it? And then Tuesday you. Move on to godliness, and then Wednesday you move on to faith. How is my faith? Where do I need more faith? What does faith even mean? How is faith used in the Bible? Thursday you move on to love, and then endurance on Friday and Saturday, gentleness. You know, sometimes passages like 1 Timothy 6 um, can be overwhelming. You can lose, you know, the forest for the trees or the house for the subdivision. But I think that if you're actively. Uh, focused on pursuing contentment, then asking the Holy Spirit, which of these six windows need to be cleaned, then He will speak powerfully into your life. And just like a house isn't built in a day, so we don't create a life that is both content and godly all at one time, right? It takes time, it takes commitment, it takes intentionality, it takes weeks, it takes months, it might even take years. But as we build godliness in our lives through fleeing the love of money, which is one wall. And then through pursuing righteousness,
1: gentleness, faith, love, endurance, and godliness, which is wall two. With the windows as we, as, we, uh, as we focus on fighting the good fight of faith, which is wall three. And then through taking hold of eternal life. What does that mean? What does
2: it mean for you to take hold of eternal life? But as we do those four things, we will start to see something beautiful being created in our lives. We see that a house for God is starting to take shape. That the ground has been cleared and our building is starting to rise. And what do we do once that building, as far as we know, as far as we can tell, is built? What do we do once we've reached maturity? Well, we then wait. You see, one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to be inspecting our buildings That's what the next few verses are talking about. 1 Timothy 3, verse 13 says this In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Jesus Christ, who, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command flee, pursue, fight, and take hold without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15 God will bring this about in our own time. This is why we have to wait. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. And so in the picture language of this spiritual building that I am making and that you're making, Jesus will come and he will inspect it. And he will come, but in his own time. And he will cast an appraising eye over the life that you created, and he will judge you according to it. You don't believe me? Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Can Have you ever thought of people arriving in heaven with just the clothes on their back? They have nothing else. Because everything else in their life has been burnt up because it wasn't substantial. It was not worthwhile. It didn't have any value. It was wood, hay, straw, not costly stones. So there will be a judgment of the life that you have built. And the life that will pass the test is one of contentment with godliness. Okay, so you might be saying, well, that's great. That's a lot about me, Dan. But I thought at the beginning that you were going to talk about us as a subdivision, about creating a neighborhood, not just a house, and you're right. And this is the beauty of this passage, is that you can, st- is that as you start living a life of contentment, as you start living a life of godliness, this life of of great of thing, what happens is that people start to look at your life and uh, they wonder what is your secret, right? If you've ever been around anyone who's living a godly life, there's something in that life that you want. And so they they start asking themselves, why are you so satisfied with so little when they are so dissatisfied with so much? And you can start telling them how they can start a building project of their own through fleeing the love of money and pursuing good things, of fighting the good fight of faith and taking hold of eternal life. But... You tell them, but it starts with practicing contentment. It starts with clearing the ground. I think that's incredible. That's a wonderful light view of the life of a disciple of Jesus. That once you clear cleared your own ground through nurturing contentment, once you build your own structure of godliness, you can start to invite people to clear their own ground. And that's what verse 17 is about. Instruct those... Who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. What are we seeing here? We're seeing people being instructed to clear their own ground through choosing contentment by realizing that wealth is uncertain. You know, I, I said last week, right, how wealth is a temporary platform. It's a thing that we spring onto and then we keep moving. It's not something to set down roots on. And we need to be teaching people this. That instead of relying on love, that we learn contentment through the provision of a God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now friends, I see so many people portraying God with a sad face or an angry face. A God who just wants us to be good. Stop screwing up, Dan. Stop screwing up. Why can't you just be righteous, Dan? Why can't you just be holy, Dan? Why can't you just stop doing stupid stuff, Dan? That's how I often view God. That's how we often view God. That's how we often show God. And of course, God is holy. He's three times holy. We melt in his presence, we fall to our knees, his holiness shows up our sinfulness, and with Isaiah, we say, Woe to me, when i are faced with this holy God. Right? That's what happens when we're faced with a God who is holy. But my point this morning is that God is not holy with a sad face, is that God is holy with a happy face. He's the God is holy with a beaming smile. He's a God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Are we living it? You know, what would that look like for you to meditate on that verse for a week? That God provides you with all things. Richly provides you with all things to enjoy. And once our
0: our godliness and our contentment is
2: seen, do this first. it starts to spread. And then other people start to clear their own ground. They start learning this, uh, the, the joy of the adventure of contentment. And once the ground is cleared of the junk and the garbage and the stuff of this world, they're then ready to build their own house of godliness. Instruct them to do what is good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and willing to share storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. This is what happens when other people start to build their own edifices of godliness. Friends, I've raced through so many incredible concepts this morning. Uh, truths that need meditation on, that transform, that are good and solid and foundational. But my goal this morning has been to give you an overview of 1 Timothy 6, six through 19. Because here we find a blueprint, not just for a life that pleases God, but for a community or a society that pleases God. Because this blueprint is reproducible, it's contagious, and it looks literally like nothing that the world has to offer. You know, the world says, accumulate. Jesus says, be content. The world says, pursue wealth. And flee the things of God. And Jesus says, flee the love of money. And pursue the things of God. You know, the world says, fight for your place in this life. And live for now. But
1: Jesus says, no. Fight the good fight of faith. And take hold of the eternal
2: to which you were called. And because godliness with contentment is great gain. Others will want in on this. And then one house turns into two houses, into three houses, into a street, into a community, into a subdivision, into a town, into a city. And as Jesus himself says, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's where we're aiming. That's our goal. That's our desire. Is a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, cleared with contentment, built with godliness. But it starts with you clearing your ground in contentment and then building in godliness. Because godliness is gain and contentment is gain but godliness with contentment that's great gain and the disciple of Jesus lives this. Let's pray. Lord we thank you for the alternate way of looking at life that you provide for us. One that flies in the face of the logic of this world, and one that we are tempted consistently to ignore and to go our own way. Lord, that may we live lives where we proclaim that you are enough through clearing our lives, through clearing the ground, through practising contentment. And Lord, may we build houses. Of godliness through our lives. Lord, may this be some sort of a, of a discipleship model, Lord, that as we think, how can I live a life that proclaims Christ? We can look at First Timothy 6 and say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Lord, you, you know how much we need this message. You know how much I need this message. So we ask you to speak into our lives. Amen. Let's uh, let's stand as we sing our last song of response. Well, I'm nowhere near that. I, I cannot even begin to imagine that. Well, you can bring that to the Lord. You know, we don't come to Him as fully finished um, humans, right? We're all on a journey. And if all that you say to Him is, Lord, I believe, help thou my, my unbelief, then uh, He will need you there. And if you don't have the desire, just say, Lord, I don't even... I'm not interested in this. Just bring that to him in honesty and say, Lord, but if in your grace you could make me want it, he will answer that prayer. Let's uh, say